Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high rise or low rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. This episode you're about to listen to has a few choice words. So if you're listening with your children in the car, earmuffs. Thank you. All right. Well, welcome to this episode. Today we are going to be talking about your birth story. And this is a kind of an interesting one because for many of you, when you hear birth story, you're going to think about, you know, your own birth story. You're going to think that we're also going to be talking about what type of birth to have. And we are going to touch on that a little bit. But our main focus here is how to have that body acceptance and that body trust while you give birth or based on your birth story. Yeah, we wanted to create the space today to chat about this a little bit with uh, a midwife. And we really think that the message and tools that she is talking about is super helpful. You'll hear Tina and I share a little bit about our birth stories. But the bottom line is, between the two of us, we've had four births and four very different births. So a big component is not exactly the importance of how you gave birth or where you gave birth, but your relationship with your body during the pregnancy and the birth process. And I know for me personally, a huge piece of it was about my relationship with my body and about my mentality about the birth that I felt like didn't go the way I wanted than the birth that did. And so we're going to be looking at it from the lens of your mindset, a little bit of letting go of control and surrendering to your birth experience, and also just how to have that body trust and and hold on to the non-diet approach and the health at every size approach in your birth story and in your relationship with your midwife or your doctor, because that is an area that is not talked about very often. So we're so glad that Lindsay Milis is here to share with us a little bit about how you can advocate for yourself and how you can also just have that great relationship with your body and your provider. So let's transition to our interview now. So as a disclaimer, we come from a health at every size paradigm that is attempting to decrease weight stigma, help moms accept their bodies no matter what their size, and find body acceptance. So in our interview today, we will not be discussing any specific numbers. We will be mindful of having this interview be about weight acceptance from a non-diet approach, and we will not be giving any nutritional advice to just protect our listeners from being triggered. We are hoping our interview today with Lindsay will be able to help moms discuss how to navigate body acceptance in their birth story and are looking forward to hearing Lindsay's expertise as she helps moms explore the beauty and the power of their bodies during their birth experience. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with both of you. We're excited to have you. A little background on Lindsay. So Lindsay Milas is a mom, midwife, and mentor. She weaves the stories of birth as a social media influencer while she makes it her mission to normalize birth and empower women. She has served childbearing women and their families since 2006. Her passion lies in empowering women to find their voice and power not only in birth, but in health and wellness. She is a lactation consultant, midwifery teacher, emergency medical technician, water safety advocate, 
an avid user and educator of essential oils since 2006. Lindsay and her husband, Darren, reside in Dana Point, California, where they raise their two children, Dylan and River, and go between the summer ocean sailing season and the winter desert dirt biking season. Heck yeah. (laughs) Yay! So we are excited to get chatting about this. Um, Can you tell us about your work as a midwife and how being around women during this powerful time in their life has impacted your awareness of the body acceptance and body positive movement? Yeah, I mean, you know, midwifery is essentially in itself just this embodiment of empowering women and getting them in touch with their bodies when we live in a culture that has taken us so far away from tuning into our bodies and trusting our bodies and listening to our intuitions and feeling comfortable with the changes of our body. And so, um, you know, over the last 16 years, I've helped thousands and thousands of women. And it's been so interesting to see um, how much there has been a body, a body positivity movement with 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 ourselves like it's just incredible because you know there there is a certain expectation within our culture to you know either a remain thin throughout your whole pregnancy and not gain any weight or on the flip side you know you see celebrities posting pictures of them drinking like slurpees from 7 up and eating a whole bag of you know chips and it's like where's the, where's the medium here, people? Like, you know, like we have a, just be promoting health in general, not one size fits all. Like it's just about health. And so, you know, that's been really beautiful to watch, um, acceptance come around that, which is great because it, I mean, we are a celebrity driven culture. And so to step back from that and, and just come back into ourselves is amazing. Yeah. I, when you're, as you're saying that, you know, in regards to the celebrities, my mind goes to the fact that, you know, celebrities are what we see and what individuals are, you know, comparing themselves to, unfortunately. And then, you know, media will either say, look at this celebrity. She doesn't even look pregnant from the back or they shame this celebrity for any sort of weight change that they've had, even though it's totally normal And then on the flip side, it's like, look at her pre-baby body is back in three weeks. And like, while the rest of us over here are like, I didn't think I even moved for two whole weeks. I was bed rest. I was on bed rest. Which is what you should be doing. Yes. That's what my midwife told me. She was like, hey, you need to be horizontal for two weeks. I don't, you're, we don't want your pelvic floor falling out of your vagina. And I'm like, I hear you. Yes, ma'am. Yes. yes. I, there's a, a saying I always say to my clients when I leave five days in bed, five days around the bed, which means in your bedroom, and then five days around the house. And it's just like the slower we take it, the, the faster we heal. And there is this huge expectation. I remember when Kate Middleton had her first baby and she, you know, left the hospital and she was, you know, had her makeup stylist and her, you know, hair people come and she was so prim and proper. And it's like, hours post-birth, Kate Middleton's body looks amazing. You're like, what the heck is that? Like, you know, like her butt should be in bed with a diaper on, you know? Uh Yes. A diaper on her. Yes, exactly. So, uh, 
goodness. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's there it's, but it's, it's like that across the board, regardless of pregnancy or not, there's just so many expectations that are laid upon women. And I feel like now with this body positivity movement, we look at, you know, these big, um, companies, different companies that are thanks and Aria and all these amazing brands that are like bringing in different, even target, you know, you have so many different varieties of women's bodies and how they're advertising. And it's so beautiful because it's like, yes, this is what everybody looks like. There's not just one, you know, really thin model that's just modeling all these clothes and it's just beautiful. Do you think all those expectations and all that celebrity culture affect mom's abilities to trust their bodies and how do you help moms navigate this body trust component when they're faced in this important moment like birth? I mean, a hundred percent. I think it, and I think it doesn't come just from culture. I think it's multi-generational. Like we look back um, throughout the last few generations and even in my own family, my mom was born three months premature because my grandma was given diet pills and my grandma was thin back then. You know, there was no reason for her to be on diet pills in her pregnancy. Even if, even if she wasn't, there's no reason for anybody to be on diet pills during her Wow. Just ever, 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 yeah, ever. Yeah, ever. So, you know, consequently in 1950, my mom was in the NICU for two months and I know that affected so much of attachment and, um, you know, like when you're in an incubator staring at screens that make it be oh. for two months, it, it changes your whole entire life. And so, um, I, I think that we need to start stepping back. You know, we, we always kind of, allude to the fact that I feel like we're the generation that's healing past generations and, you know, healing future generations. And it's, it's a great honor to be in this generation, but it, it takes that time to step back and look back and say like, what's in, what's in my DNA? Like what is in my lineage? What, what, what have my ancestors gone through in the last few generations? Because once we normalize birth as a medical procedure and made it, you know, birth in the hospital, um, which is just, what everybody does it's mainstream it's it's we've we've taken so much into numbers and bmis and you know step on the scale at every appointment and there's so much shame and guilt associated with that that it just it just shifts everything. And so if you have a woman that's at a doctor's office and she's standing on a scale and she's being lectured about her BMI, but she's pregnant and nurturing another human being, like, how is that helpful? It's just, it's just crazy. It's ludicrous, really. Yeah. I mean, setting aside just birth and pregnancy, it's like, it's ludicrous for any reason. Being shamed about our BMI and weight. And I think this is a whole separate topic, but I think it's an entire shift in our healthcare system that's needed of how we actually help people. But so have moms ever opened up to you about insecurities or weight concerns that they've had? And, and how have you seen them evolve in their own birth experience with that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I don't even really wait for it to be an open up. I really try to get it on the intake forms, like in a loving, supported way, Um, you know, the same way I would do an intake about sexual abuse or physical abuse. It's kind of like, okay, like, how do you feel about your body? And have you had eating disorders in the past? And, you know, what does that look like for you? And, um, you know, as we go through the intake portion, and in that everybody opens up with the, it's my first appointment with them. So I feel like there has to be a certain level of trust, but at least it's that door that's open where they know that it's a safe place to come and talk about it when they feel ready. Um, but I, you know, the, the most important thing that I do is when someone comes in for their first appointment, I, some of the, the questionnaires that I have for the labs that I have to draw, they actually do ask for a weight, but I say, you know, 
this is the only time I'll be asking you for your weight. And so if you, if you don't know your weight, make up a number. Um, but there will never be a time when you come into this office again, where you, where you will have to step on a scale. And I, and I have moms that are really appreciative of that. And I have moms that weigh themselves every day. And those are the moms towards the end of the pregnancy where I feel like I, like their homework assignment is to go home and either a throw away their scale or b you know, stick the scale in a closet where they can't get to it because they become obsessive and fixate on it. And it's like, this is not what we should be fixating on. We should be fixating on, you know, the food that you're consuming throughout the day is healthy and organic and that you, you're in a really happy mental space and, you know, you're, you're be able to move your body to, you know, get circulation flowing and get to this place of having a little bit of endurance to give birth. And, um, you know, the, the number on a scale is the, the, the least amount of things that we need to be worrying about throughout this process. I know for me personally, when I was in first pregnant, I went in, had an assessment, whatever. And thinking about it in the moment, I was pretty upset. But now looking back at it, I'm like, that person was probably just stuck in diet culture themselves. They just need some education. And I kind of opened the door for that. But the, the midwife did say, hey, my recommendation is that you only gain X amount between X and X, you know, amount of weight. And in that moment, because I feel confident about, you know, my body and, and, and what I'm trying to spread, I said, this conversation will never happen again. Because if I gain over that, I'm not going to do anything differently because I'm not going to, what are you going to do? Go on a diet? Right. My body is going to do what it's going to do. And there is no way that I'm going to prevent it from gaining the amount that it needs. Now, granted it, it's let's all be mindful. Let's make sure we're listening to our bodies, but there's never going to be a time in, in that process or really ever that um, I would, create restriction just to, you know, prevent my body from doing its thing. So, you know, that opened up the conversation for her and I to talk a little bit more. And I think it did give her a bit more education. But I was that person, you know, that she was like, "Mm, here comes Tina. Let's, (laughs) let's be careful. And I feel like a lot of the time there's like, providers in general have their hands tied because there is this like, standard of care and like, you know, this like kind of community standard of care. And we have to like softly fall within those lines. Um, especially if you're conforming more towards, you know, a practice that has like the hospital, um, dictating the protocol and guidelines. And so I, I know several birth centers in you know, this, the Southern California area that have to risk mom's out for a high BMI and you know and they come to me and like I didn't even know that it was an option for me to birth at home because of my BMI and I'm like what that's bullshit sorry can I cuss (laughs) you know like what like your body size makes you not be able to give birth like that's just like just crazy to me and you know and and so for the past couple months until they found me like you have to think of like the shame and the spiral that they were down on their body because they they couldn't birth at home or birth at a birth center and you know and again let's talk about like the imprints of that on their baby and if they're carrying a girl you know there there are eggs and their babies that are you know their baby's babies and so like there is imprints throughout all of that, that like, it's just this big thing that we have to look at. And so, um, 
Yeah, I, I, do, I do feel though that there are people that like they have to you know, remain within the standard of care. And I know where we're at in Southern California, like Orange County, you know, the stereotypical like, you know, plastic surgery capital. And I hear OBs that are like literally like down to the pounds criticizing moms. And it's just, That's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. So yeah, part of my favorite thing in my practice is, I mean, we do actually have a scale in the bathroom because there are some people that want to weigh themselves and that's fine, but like it is not a requirement. And I feel like that's one of the most important pieces of my practice is like, like, no, 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 like we are not asking you for your weight at all. Um, and then another thing that I really like to incorporate in is if I do have anybody that has had previous eating disorders or anything like that, um, they get the gratitude journal. And so they get to go through and they get to identify things in their bodies that they're grateful for. And I try to like, you know, if depending on what's going on, like, you know, 10 a day or five a day, but like, just really like, like, I don't care if you like your teeth. Like we need to look at something that like is something that you really find beautiful and positive about your body because you want to be in the space of gratitude to give birth in for your body. You know, your body is going through this amazing process and we want to be in gratitude throughout the whole process of that. I love that mindfulness exercise because back to the body trust piece, if you've had a history of not trusting your body, now you're going to such a foreign experience of pregnancy that that can really trigger that body trust. I mean, I know for me, it felt like, is this an alien in here? Like it, it was, it you know, it's still such a strange experience when it's your first time, especially. So just kind of getting back into any connection with your body when it can get disconnected is so helpful. I love too that you talk a little bit about like the, quote unquote standard of care and then how that can vary. Like I want moms listening to know that there are options and a lot of it is going to be provider dependent. Like I had two different OBs and I did hospital births, but my first OB was all about the number and scale. And then my second OB, he was more of a midwife training and he was amazing. And, and it was my third pregnancy when I noticed that I had just gained more than I had in previous pregnancies in one month. And I kind of said like, uh, like, I noticed my number kind of jumped. Like, is there anything like, you know, do we have to talk about this? He's like, do you really want me to sit here and talk to you about the number? And I was like, no, not at all. He's like, exactly. So I'm not going to like, just do your thing. Like, it was so nice that he was like, listen, just because I like take it. I, he never commented on it. He even told me like, stop, don't go there. You know, so. So I think, though, I have to bring up that we are you and I are speaking from a thin privilege here that there are situations where mamas are going in and being like, I'm going to advocate for myself. I don't want to talk about the number. I don't want to log my food. And and these individuals are saying, you don't have a choice. So we are saying, yes, you do. You do. There, there are these standards of care. But remember, it's your care. This is your body, your pregnancy. And, and no one can force you to make choices that are outside of your comfort level. And if they are, you need to go find a different provider or, you know, we reach out to us. We can provide resources that you could give that provider, you know, and say, this is why I'm coming from a weight inclusive approach, not a weight normative. So we have those resources. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just recently was interviewed for um, an article that was written that um, was talking about changing providers. And I feel like women get so stuck in like, oh, well, it's my OBGYN since I was 16. And it's like, 
who cares? You know what I mean? Like, like if, if you're not in the same approach that they are, like go find somebody else and do your research. Um, in that article, I was talking about how most women don't even research who they're going to birth with. Like they do more research on like buying a car or, you know, looking for their wedding photographer. And it's like, these people will make an imprint in your life throughout the rest of your life. And you want to make sure that it's somebody that you're aligned with and it's somebody that's going to support you. And it's somebody that's going to empower you opposed to the opposite. And so like do your research. And if they're, if you're stuck middle of pregnancy, find somebody else. And, you know, I, I also have said in the past, like I've had a client once <clears throat> that, that risked out of midwifery care and she fired her OB in labor. She was like, out, like I, this is not happening. Like you need to go find another OB because I do not want you in this space anymore. So like there is always options out there for you to really be aligned with a care provider that is providing you with yeah. the best care. I wanted to kind of shift back. Cause I think in, in a comment you had said, previously was talking about expectations and I think for me this was one of the hardest parts of my birth experience because I gave birth in a birth center I was using midwives I didn't have a doula but I had this idea of my plan and so many individuals kept telling me like don't really write out the specific birth plan. You can, but you need to recognize that that isn't necessarily how it's going to go. Um, and it, 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 it really didn't go that way, um, <laughs> the way that I thought, um, which is fine. I have an amazing baby and I'm happy with the birth that I had, but I know that a lot of mamas maybe aren't or have these really stringent expectations and that really gets in the way. So what would you say to those mamas or how do you coach them on developing a birth plan and managing their own expectations? I mean, I, f- I feel like that really ties in beautifully to this like diet culture expectation that we place upon ourselves because um, you know, really it's all about control, um, and this like certain conformity that we have to move into. And so anytime that you're trying to seek control of a situation or of your body or of anything, I feel like the biggest, you know, karmic lesson that we get slapped in the face with is surrender. And so, um, you, you know, birth, especially and being a midwife and, you know, having experienced thousands of births, it's, it's one of those pieces where where, you know, you look at it and you're like, okay, well, statistically speaking, you know, 95% of women are going to give birth just fine and normal, but there's always going to be the variation of normal. <clears throat> and so the the clients that I have that, you know, put themselves into these like super like controlling type, like, you know, this would be the worst thing ever are typically the ones that end up having that actually happen to them because there is no fluidity or surrender element to to their birth experience. And so, um, and then they look at care providers as, you know, like godlike figures where they think that there's like a certain button that they can push that will make their body do certain things. And you're like, Hey, you know, white flag over here, you know, like your body's going to do exactly what it needs to do. And, um, I always say like, you can't have certain expectations because we don't know how it's going to go. And, um, you know, even if it's a mom that's had four births, like, 
like very easy before, like her fifth baby might have a totally different experience and have a different birth story. And so as we just let go of these things that we really can't control, like we really don't know when our babies are going to, you know, start labor, or we really don't know how long our babies are going to wait to rotate through our pelvis or, you know, those certain things. And, um, we, we get to this place of trust and we get to this place of allowing things to happen the way that they're meant to happen. But you're also on the flip side, fighting against a medical culture that has tried to medicalize the management of childbirth. And so, you know, there, there all, there are all these inductions of labor and augmentations of labor to get things set up. And so when you, when you feed that, into this control factor it's like wait wait wait. so i'm supposed to surrender but the doctor wants me to have my baby in three days and i mean even with midwifery care in the state of california there's a guideline that says we can't do home birth past 42 weeks and so you know when a mom's two weeks late i'm like hey guys you know i know and and it like it puts these you know really restrictive guidelines on these clients that are trying to be in this space of surrender. And it makes it really, really hard to fall back into that trust situation. And I'll tell you the first story that it just happened last week. And it was a client that was a VBAC, which is a vaginal birth after cesarean. We actually call them HBACs, which is home birth after cesarean. And um, her first baby was actually the water broke on her due date. And so I really didn't think like, Hey, you know, you're going to go two weeks late. Um, but she did. And, um, I, you know, I had to have the conversation with her because with, with a cesarean, with, you know, someone that's having a trial of labor after cesarean, we don't want to do extraordinary things because there is the potential of increasing, you know, risks. And so it's not like I would just be like, here, drink this castor oil to get labor going. It was, you know, we needed to have another, a safer, plan in effect. And so she had, um, had to transfer out of care to an OB, um, which, you know, is a wonderful OB that I work with. And he gave her that last weekend to try to go into labor and he, you know, they were going to do other things the fo- on the following Monday. And she ended up going to la- into labor on her own, um, which was beautiful. Um, but what ended up happening is because she had already surrendered to wanting to give birth at home. And then she had to surrender to totally releasing control of that and then going stepping into the mindset of like maybe I'm gonna have to schedule another cesarean next week and so when her body went into labor um there was the lack of trust and surrender was out the window like she was just like like in a different space a different element and she really couldn't get back into her body of just being in this birthing space and I'm like that's okay. You know what I mean? Like if we need to do something else. That's okay. Um, because you've worked so hard over the last couple of weeks on this mindset that has taken you 50 different places. And so it was just interesting to watch that whole thing happen of her just not being in that mind space of surrendering to actually let her body labor because at that point she checked into something else, you know? Yeah. Our bodies, I mean, after I gave birth, I just had I mean, I already have an appreciation for my body, but the the depth of that appreciation just was massive. And I was, my son was born on the last day that he could have been born. Otherwise, I was going to have to be transferred. So he was a two-week post-due date baby. And the mental 
mind games that went on in those two weeks. I mean, I think d- daily I was getting about 15 to 20 texts like, is is the baby here yet? Or I had family staying with me every day. It was just like people in my face. And it, it just, it wore me down, man. It It was so hard. And so, but I mean, now I would do it differently but the the experience was amazing I wouldn't change any part of it but I I think that experience allowed me to just appreciate how strong I really am and how amazing my body really is because he came out when he wanted to come out I mean it was ready he was ready and and he's such a cool little dude now I think he's so smart because he just cooked in there for two extra weeks well, and he's we, like, we scientifically know that actually. That oh, their cool. Bigger the longer they stay. Wow, in, so. amazing. Yeah. So, and he's such a snuggler. So he just really wanted to snuggle me a little bit longer inside. It's like a warm hot tub. I mean, why wouldn't you want to stay in there? I love your piece about the control because I think for a lot of moms, it feels like your body has failed you if your birth doesn't go the way you want it to go. And I know for me that happened with my first. Um, so I. I'm curious how you help moms kind of navigate that body trust component if it feels like their body maybe didn't not didn't cooperate, but if it feels like that expectation and then their body didn't cooperate and they weren't in communication and and they felt disconnected, like how do you help moms kind of grieve that? Yeah, grief is a perfect word for that. Um, You know, there are definitely, even if it's like the like ideal perfect birth, if there's something that's outside of what their expectation was, there's going to be a grief process no matter what. Um, because when we have expectations that we set on ourselves, um, if, if they don't, you know, go according to plan, it's like, wh- why didn't they go according to plan? And why did my body fail me? And so, you know, like, it's one thing to like set a goal of like, I'm going to go run this marathon and, you know, like your shoelace breaks halfway through the marathon and there's technical difficulties and, you know, you, you don't get to the end goal, but like with your body and an involuntary process, like with birth, there's, there's certain elements that there are women that really, really, really have a hard time with a birth plan going not according to plan. And so um, grief looks different, you know, grief looks different. There's so many different layers of grief. And um, if you look through it with, you know, sadness and guilt and blame, and um, it, it just kind of, you have to meet them where they're at because it's a process. It's, it's not a linear process. Um, it's, you know, it's definitely comes in waves. And um, I spend a lot of time, I, I do a lot of emotional release work prior to the birth. Um, like I really try to get into past traumas and, um, you know, expectations and really work through those, um, throughout the pregnancy. And so I do feel that women find that like coming to me is a safe space because they've already had those encounters throughout the pregnancy. Um, but I really try to let them grieve naturally on their own. I don't set an expectation into how that's supposed to look. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, constantly am checking in with them and giving them ideas of, you know, journaling or, um, even just being present, like go sit outside on the lawn with your baby and just be present with your baby instead of thinking about the, you know, what, what the should have and could have were. And, um, 
we, we go through the process and it, it, and I feel like it comes in the layers where we get through the certain big heavy stuff. And then sometimes if they do end up having another baby, then we need to go through the process again before they give birth again. Um, and sometimes even in, in the birth, um, you know, we have some time to kind of remove those blockages and sit with them and release them. And, um, it's, but it's, it's, it's different for every person, but it needs to be identified because if it's not identified, then it sits with them for the rest of their life. Um, there was a study I read um, where they were going into um, Alzheimer's homes and they were interviewing people with full-blown Alzheimer's dementia. And the thing that most of the women could remember and tell stories of verbatim was their births. And so regardless if, you know, there's memory loss or dementia or just, you know, any of those elements, um, they still remember. And so, you know, any, any sort of trauma that comes up, it, it definitely needs to be identified. And, um, even if they're not ready to identify it for five years, it's, it's also like being that open space to where if they feel like they need to come back five years later and talk, like I have an open door policy. I never say goodbye to my clients. They know that, um, you know, even at their six week appointment, I'm like, Oh, this isn't goodbye. I'll see you in a couple months, you know, like come back and show me your baby. And so, um, to, to have that space, that safe space to do, to sit with the grieving process and know that there's somebody there that's going to unconditionally love and listen to you. That's, that's a really important piece of the midwifery care that I feel that I give for sure. That's amazing. I mean, I know I had to go into therapy and do a lot of grieving work after my first kind of traumatic birth. And I tried to find books, resources. I mean, there was really nothing out there. It was so hard. I finally found one book that like, was written in like the 80s or something that like that that but has been so amazing and helpful for me but that shows how little resources there were out there and I ended up finding a lot of healing and writing out my birth story so that's really interesting you said that about the, that study because for me writing out I mean it's like seven pages long single space like I had to write through all of it in order to like process all the memories and all the components and all the medical interventions and and really just kind of help have my mind and my memory and my body like all connect. So I think that's really interesting that you have that open door policy because it's true. Like sometimes months later, something comes up or a memory gets triggered. and You're like, oh, I forgot that one mm -hmm. moment. Literally, really I can't impactful. as you guys are saying this, I'm like. I can't remember mine. Like, you know, I think like my mom was in the room. My mother-in-law was also in the room. My husband was in the room. It was like, kumbaya, let's play guitars. Everybody's in here, you know, which is, which is great. Everyone was useful, but like, they'll all be like, do you remember when this happened? And I'm like, no. Well, remember when this, when, when I helped you do this? I'm like, no, I, but that wasn't an important piece of what you needed to remember. That's the part, the parts that they're remembering. Exactly. And so, but do you want to know no, what I, I remember? I remember when he finally came out, it was like a gush of warmth yeah, in my vagina. Yes. And then I got to see this cool little dude. I mean, I could cry right now thinking about it. Like that's the only experience I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps. Yeah. And that's, that's your limbic imprint. Like that is the experience that matters to you that you will carry with you the rest of your life. And, you know, as a care provider, it's really interesting because there's certain expectations that I think that we have on our clients subconsciously, nothing that we're like, Oh, there's this expectation. But you know, when I read through the birth stories, cause that is another piece of that I, you know, have clients do is write their birth story, what they write 
and what my memory or experience of are two totally different things. Oh and my gosh. What I remember does not matter. You know, it's what their process was through what their, what their remembrance is of their process um, that, that they're going through because that is what's going to stay with them. And so that's, what's most important, you know, for us to yeah, as providers to not have expectations of that. What, what's so funny is for my second, I ended up doing a VBAC with no drugs to make up for all the drugs from the first time. And um, my husband, I, I, a couple days later, I was like, I really just kept thinking like, I can do this. Think of all the women who've gone before, he, before me. Mary did this in the stable. He's like, no, you kept saying that out oh loud. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was like, I did? I, I remember thinking it. He's like, no, no, no. You kept saying, Mary did this in the stable. Jeez. Oh my gosh. I don't know. Is that funny? <laughs> no, I feel like there's like a whole like common sense piece of logic that's been thrown out the door with this like medicalization of birth where you're like, wait a second, like, hello, did you, like, do you think like, well, like cord clamps saved the human race? Do you think that your scale saved the human race? Do you think, you know, there's so many pieces that we're so dependent on this, like, you know, we have to fit within these conformities of this medical model of care. And it's like, what, what's happened for all these years? Like, how did Mary give birth in a stable without all these interventions, you know? <laughs> I mean, I think that's a good point too, though, about like the generations and how we get in our heads so much, you know? Like, I remember my mom had um, C-sections and so she was in my ear the entire time, like, well, you're Bill like me and you're just like me and you'll probably have a C-section too. And so then when I did for my first one, it was like, well, see, honey, it's okay. Like, blah, blah, blah. And and so it felt like, well, should I just accept that this is going to be my body because my body is going to be like her? Can my body give birth? Like, I got so in my head, and I think our generational stories and, like, how our ancestors have done it really can affect our body trust. I'm sure you see that. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I mean, even in myself, my my first birth was a, was a cesarean as well. And I remember looking up at my mom and my mother-in-law, you know, at, like, 11 o'clock at night when the doctor is recommending a C-section. And they're both looking at me like, well, both of us had C-sections. Like, why would you not even be like, why are you worried about it? Like, just go have a C-section. And, you know, obviously I became a midwife because of my birth experience, because I didn't want women to have the same experience that I had. And um, I, I, I love using the term in my office, like great grandma cave wisdom, um, because, uh, you know, like if someone's like, is, you know, the way that my mother births genetic? And I'm like, well, how was your mom's birth? And if she's like, it was great, it was three hours. I'm like, yes, it's totally genetic. Ah! Or if she's like, you know, she, she had, you know, five c-sections and you know all these complications i'm like nope not genetic and and so you know while birth <laughs> is genetic like hello like for all of time we've given birth with like it's, i don't want to say no problems but you know like the human race is here and very strong because birth is meant to work and so there are complications for sure and i don't ever want to play down anybody's experience or complications with their stories but um you know the majority of the time birth works and so i always say like if someone presents me with a question, I'll be like, well, what would your grandma in the cave do? Like, like I want you to, like, would, would your grandma in the cave be eating six dates a day so her cervix softens? Like, would she be taking all these, you know, homeopathic pills or pills to soften her cervix to give birth? No, hell no. Like, she would just, you know, being in her space and trusting the situation and walking five miles a day and squatting down to go to the bathroom and, you know, her body worked just fine. So, um, it's, it's, it's really hard for us to step out of this modern medical culture that we've created and really 
back to that great grandma cave wisdom. I read the book Birthing from Within and I it was so helpful because it like talks about exactly what you're saying, like the history and look at how birthing kind of developed and all the different parts of it. And I remember this one point where like, hey, this is where the C-section developed. It was actually like, hey, we're cutting the baby out of you. The mom dies. You know what I mean? Like we're we're throwing the mom away. And then it was like maybe in the 1800s or I forget the date was the first actual successful C-section where the mom lived, where it was yeah. like, yes, great. Yeah. So yeah. I want to validate like any mama that's listening to this, that's being like, well, I only want to have C-sections. And it's like, great. It was developed for this purpose of being like, you don't want to have a vaginal birth. You're not feeling like you're capable of having a vaginal birth. Great. There's another way to give birth to your baby. And I've seen some really awesome um, Instagram videos where it's like the mom is actually pushing the baby out through the C-section. I mean, so... It is any experience is great. And we're just wanting to validate that like you have a choice. It is your body and there is no judgment around that. You know, one of the most beautiful births that I have ever witnessed was a um, mom who had very, very significant history of sexual abuse in her past. And um, I think she chose the midwifery model of care because we are very aware of those things. And it's very led with, um, you know, permission to touch your body. Like anytime that I touch a client, I ask for permission first before I touch them. And um, she started the labor process and labor can be really intense. And those sensations are in the same areas where sexual abuse can be triggered. And she looked at me straight in the eye and said, I want to go to the hospital and have a cesarean. And I said, okay. And I said, is that like, you know, with, with the process, she, she was kind of wishy-washy. And I said, I want you to be convicted. And I want you to look at me in the eyes. And I want you to say that again, but with conviction this time. And she, you know, she kind of like found this internal roar and strength that no one had ever given her before. And she said, I want to go to the hospital and have a cesarean. And I was like, good, let's go, let's do this. And, and we walked in, I called ahead and I kind of had given them the history at the hospital and they were really beautifully accommodating to her. And she had this amazing life-changing experience of being the person that was in control of her body for the first time. And I will go down and say that like, hands down, that is one of the most beautiful births I've ever seen. And for, you know, a home birth midwife to say that a cesarean was one of the most beautiful births I'd ever seen probably shocks people, but like, it's not about where you're giving birth. It's not about what process you're going through. It's not about what, you know, childbirth class you're taking. It's about you being comfortable with your situation and you being the one to make the, the, the calls about your body. And so that's just such an important piece with, with any medical care that you receive, not just in the you know birth world, but like, you know, you need to be the one that is comfortable with the decisions that you're making. And so if somebody comes in and is asking me to convince them to have a home birth, the first thing I say to them is, no, you need to tell me and convince me why you're an ideal candidate to have a home birth. Because if you're not comfortable at home, go to the hospital. There's no judgment here for that. I think it's a great point because it brings it back to the body trust. It's not about your your birth experience or what kind of birth you have. It's about like how connected you were and if you could trust your body for whatever process that you chose. Yes. Well, so to kind of bring it on home here, we always like to um, end our interviews with busting diet myths. So are there any sort of myths you'd like to bust about birthing bodies? 
<laughs> it's like Peter Piper. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that the biggest myth is just, it's basically everything we've been talking about this whole time is that there needs to be this certain standard of expectation that we have with how much we should gain. You know, like you read everywhere that you mom should gain about 25 to 35 pounds in pregnancy. And it's just like, no, that is not real. And that is not individualized. And you cannot slap that on every single person across the board. Like it doesn't matter the numbers that we're talking about here. Like it really matters that you are providing your baby and yourself with nourishing foods throughout the whole process. And that, you know, you're being really mindful and intuitive with how you're eating and making sure that you're staying well hydrated and, and just coming to this space of knowing that your body's going to do exactly what it needs to do. And, you know, there's a lot of people that have this expectation of how much, you know, there should be a gain with each trimester. And again, it's like, no, you know, it's individualized. Like if you don't gain a pound, fine. You know, if your baby is growing according to plan and everything's going fine, then that's fine. If you gain, you know, whatever it's like, it's like, as long as the baby is growing well and mom is taking care of herself, then that's the most important piece of this puzzle right here. So that's the biggest myth I want to bust. And I wish that every, you know, OBGYN would be listening in and midwife, you know, listening to this with, you know, how many successful births I've had with never weighing, asking a woman to step on a scale ever. And the moms just do fantastic without having that pressure placed on them. I love that. That's such a fun conversation. Such a great way for moms to hear like there are alternative ways to to think about your body and your birth experience from a non-diet perspective. I think there's not enough of that out there. So thanks for sharing that. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. And this has been awesome. Yeah. And thanks for having a platform for women to be able to tune back in and, and you know, really find the face in their bodies to make these choices that are the best for them. It's beautiful that this is even a conversation that we're having. Thank you, Lindsay, for chatting with us today and providing hopefully all of our listeners with a little bit more insight into how to create that body trust around their birth story. So our takeaway question is, how can you improve your body trust with your past or upcoming births? Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LaBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom Jeans. See you next time.